Hey, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we're reading the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and deciding if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of fic- current fiction about social issues that really makes me think. And I'm Chelsea, a lover of fantasy novels with a strong female lead and a new mom desperately trying to find time to read. Welcome to book 61, Chelsea. We did it. <laughs> One step closer to that tattoo we're going to get at book 100. I know. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, before we get into our book for this week, what have you been reading lately? I have been actually, it's only been a week in between these recordings, so I haven't read very much, but I have been listening to Stormfront in the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. Um, I've read the book previously. It's a very, like, monster of the week kind of pulp fiction like very quick read kind of story um fantasy like set in the modern world um and supposedly this series has a lot of payoff where the first like five books are monster of the week and then after that they like how many books is it 17 wow (laughs) how is it young adult no oh wow (laughs) but they're only like 350 pages they read fast um and so my brother and I we were doing Discworld we decided we're going to read this series instead um because it's a little easier for me to digest and I wanted to re-listen to the first one um and it is narrated by Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh that's a great selling point (laughs) just James Marsden I just I'm in I'm in I was sold yeah. So that's what I've been listening to. Are you guys like racing through the 17 books or are you going pacing together? We're just pacing. We just, we liked reading the same thing when we did our Goosebumps thing mm-hmm. last October, which you listeners never heard about. Uh, it's in the last episode. We read 20 Goosebumps books in the month of October. <laughs> it was great. October's uh, coming up again. <laughs> no, now we're doing this series. So um, yeah. What about you? Um, over the weekend, I read One Last Stop by Casey McKeaston. So she she also wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue, oh, which yeah. I read recently, and this one just came out um, summer twenty twenty one, and it's really fun. It's like it, you know I love it because it has a time travel element, the ultimate. I'll read the worst book ever if it has time travel on it. And this was good, and it's a queer love story that's like positive, and yeah. it has, and it's um, one character is like. They meet on the subway, and they realize that one character has kind of been trapped on the subway since the 70s. Oh, And then they're trying weird. to, like, get her out. Um, and, of course, they fall in love. Was that good? <laughs> and it was really fun, yeah. I feel like I liked Red, White, White and Royal Blue more because it was just a little – that one was, like, really ridiculous because it was, like, the president's son and the royal prince in England, yeah. you know, like, it um, was more silly. But this one, I think, was – just like really, really great romance and really like well written, makes sense time travel, which is not easy to do. Yeah. So enjoyed that. Um, should we get into our book? So what book did we read this week? This week we read Lucky Jim by Kingsley Amos, who is an English author and it was published in 1953. Yeah. And Kingsley Amos, I learned, uh, has won our favorite, favorite award in the world. He won the, the Booker Prize. Yes, for a different book, not for this book, but um, you know. Yeah, what is it with us and the Booker Prize? Do you think they just always pick like the most pretentious book that they can? I feel like they must. I really want to look at their list and be like, what are you choosing here? I know that uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, who I love from the podcast, I hate, his most recent book is on the short list for the Booker Prize this year, so it doesn't sell me on the Booker Prize. I do like him, though, so like, you know. Are you going to read the new one? 
Yeah, I am. I had it from the library and then I didn't get to it. And, you know, aspirationally, I will check it out again and we'll see when I eventually make it to read yeah, it. Yeah, three years from now. Or yeah, you know. <laughs> It'll be there. That's the I mean, if it wins the Booker Prize, maybe I'm not going to read it. Um, so this author, I actually, my book, did your version, did you have the same version as me? Uh, mine looked like this. Had like a, a drawing yeah. of a college okay. square and a grass. With and a the preface? Uh, yes, but of course I didn't read the preface. Okay, I read the preface. Um, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> I know. This author, his, um, he modeled this story after his own experiences in academia and his best friend's experiences in academia. So um, yeah. it's supposed to be like our favorite kind of book, you a, know, a modeling, wish, wish fulfillment of uh, a young man who is pompous. I was going to say uh, that explains a lot about how I feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's very interesting. Um, I was reading about it like the, this man, um, Kingsley Ames, he was someone who was in academia and came back from serving in the war and kind of things and his other friend and they were very disillusioned him and his friend with life and the world was against them and so that comes across in this novel but it was not it was interesting reading that forward about that because it um it made me dislike this book less than I generally dislike this genre of books. Mm. It is because true. at least I had some like background on the human. Yeah, it is true that if if you write a wish fulfillment-y pretentious book when you're 24, 25, that's more forgivable than writing it when you're 55. Yeah, because everybody is kind of dumb when they're 24, 25. Yeah, and, and, that... and like into themselves and kind of like blinded, you know, about what other people. And yeah, and I feel yeah. like that's something we're gonna like touch on when we're talking about this book. Yeah. Well, we're getting into it already, so tell me what your one-word description is. My one-word description of this novel, I can't remember what I told you before, but I'm going to say is unsatisfied. <laughs> uh, mine is British, because this, this book feels quintessentially British. <laughs> it is it is quintessentially British, yes. Um, our quick plot is that this book is set in a sleepy English college town, and the main character, Jim Dixon, lives out his neuroses while finding fault in everyone else's. Yeah, and this book is definitely um, a guy in his young, not young, mid-20s, late mid to late 20s, um, because he served in the war, so mid to late 20s, who is um, a under-professor at a university, um, maybe even just a fellow or something. Yeah, like a lecturer. Yeah, and he is very just unsatisfied with every part of his life. Yeah, and he's he's very uh, focused on himself, and yes. and definitely thinks that like my judgments, my my experiences, my of things are a hundred percent correct, and everyone else is an idiot and dumb compared to me. Interestingly, mm -hmm. though, in the novel, it felt like every character was like that. Like they all were very self centered. Yeah, it it. It's that's one of the things I thought that felt really fake about the book and unconvincing to me is that that all the characters were very flat. Um, yeah. And, and then I was like, is this? I think it's was written like that intentionally for comedic effect. I think so like, too. Here's this main character, and he's kind of a weirdo, and he's meeting all these other weirdos. Ha 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 ha! You know. But for me, um, I, it just I found the main character incredibly unlikable. Um, 
well, it was so interesting because he was unlikable, but everybody else was unlikable too. Like there was not anybody in this story that I rooted for. Yeah, that's true. Because like even the people that he was being an asshole to, because he's an asshole. Like mm-hmm. he's like a twenty-five-year-old jerk, which is what many people are at twenty-five. Yeah. Like you think you have your shit together. You think you know what you're doing with your life. You're the coolest. You got everything figured out. No, you don't. But um, he is like the quintessential image of that. Um, and he does jerky, jackassy things. But then at the same time, like every person around him is kind of like a jerk too. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. even one of the characters that you kind of feel bad for, um, this girl that he's, like, stringing along, turns out she's kind of a jerk at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> everybody's a jerk in this book. Yeah, it basically feels like the author was just, like, all people are self-centered and driven only by their self-interest and shitty to each other all the time. Like, it's very, it's bitter. It feels bitter. Yeah, and it's interesting to have a book that is so bitter written by someone who was fairly young at the time. Well, I feel like it's, that's when I, why I picked British as my um, one word description, because it feels like it's, it's bitter and it's, it's for comedic effect. And there are some like kind of funny, if it was like a visual medium, I would call set pieces of Mm -hmm. comedy. Like when he does the lecture or like when they're like at the house party and he's trying to stay out of the room with the guy he doesn't like. And, um, and, and it just, it feels like this is like a particular strain of British humor that's very sharp, mm-hmm. um, and also sort of ridiculous and, and like clownish in a way that you don't really get in a lot in American stuff. Um, and so it, that's why it felt so British. Cause it was like, oh, I can picture the low budget BBC miniseries yes. that's been made of this that British people think is hilarious. And I didn't. I did catch there were some moments in this book that I thought were like funny. So there's a really hilarious description of a hangover that I am just going to retell for you right now because I was dying. So the character wakes up the next morning after drinking too much and it goes, Dixon was alive again. Consciousness was upon him before he could get out of the way. Not for him the slow, gracious wandering from the halls of sleep, but a summary, forcible ejection. He lay sprawled, too wicked to move, spewed up like a broken spider crab on a tarry shingle of the morning. The light did him harm, but not as much as looking at things did. He resolved, having done it once, never to move his eyeballs again. A dusty thudding in his head made the scene before him beat like a pulse. His mouth had been used as a latrine by some small creature of the night, and then as its mausoleum. During the night, too, he'd somehow been on a cross-country run and then been expertly beaten up by secret police. He felt bad. <laughs> I like. I don't know why, but I was, like, tickled by that scene. Yeah, I feel like that, especially that, I'm going to, res- oh, I'm never moving again. Like, that's so true. I was true. just... <laughs> so tickled by it i just could not handle yeah, it yeah there were some funny lines and some funny things where i could really picture it like how it would look visually um of, of like he, it's kind of he's building up he has to give this lecture and the t- topic is mary england and he's dreading it and then he gets drunk before he gets it and then he's giving it and he's he keeps he's like oh i'm wait i'm not i'm intimidating imitating the voice of this other character yeah like, now i'm imitating this other character now i'm sounding like i i'm like 
disagreeing with my subject and he just like can't control it. Um, and it's like, oh, I could, if that was a show, it'd be really, it would, it would be funny. You know? Yeah. There, are, there were moments like that. Yeah. And there were, um, yeah, it, there was overall, I didn't dislike this book. I like, it was fine. We read it. I'm not going to think about it. I don't think, but like it, it, yeah. it wasn't a bad book. Um, because about every 20 pages when I'd be getting irritated with it, there'd be something like that, like hangover scene where I would like genuinely think it was hilarious. And then it would like go back into me being like, and then there'd be something else that I'd be like, okay, that scene is really funny. So I feel like this author, this was his first, um, like big novel. I feel like he could have turned into an author where it was something that was really funny that I would genuinely like as he like matured <laughs> as a human. Um, or he could have just went down this path and all of his books are worse. And I like, don't know that I like have the energy to ever want to find out which way he <laughs> went, but it could have gone one of two ways because he does ha do a good job of like, you know, drawing out those scenes where it's like, so much so much detail 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 for something so simple that like it's just funny like it is funny yeah i think you thought it was funnier than i did but i i, I thought it was a little funny <laughs> uh, um i didn't think the whole book was funny i thought there were funny scenes uh there's two quotes that i was gonna share um let's see this one the whole thing sounded rather childless childish <laughs> but better than better than peevish all the same what messes these women got themselves into over nothing Men got themselves into messes, too, and ones that weren't so easily got out of. But their messes arose from attempts to satisfy real and simple needs. <laughs> Which is just like, can't you just picture a frat, frat boy saying that? Like, yeah, like oh, that? yeah. <laughs> but this woman's so much drama. Yeah. Ugh, all my ex-girlfriends are crazy. <laughs> and then this one, which I feel like is kind of the thesis of the book. Um, Dixon fell silent again reflecting not for the first time that he knew absolutely nothing whatsoever about other people or their lives because that, that's ultimately what it is right like he he's he's really acting on his assumptions and then they always turn out not to be true for better and for worse um and he also does that weird thing where he's like and then he turns away and makes his face and every yeah. time like a different description his and then we always like kind of weird but it was like my angry face but it was a more elaborate description and so he was like it was like he like was, a clown. <laughs> That's what it's felt. It was like. that weird thing that these like coming of age books sometimes do. Wish fulfillmenty, where like, it's like the person is looking down and like um, they're I not idealizing. They're like making more of themselves than they need to be. Like my very specific face for this mood. Like yes. feeling very into themselves. It was odd though because um. This character was, like, simultaneously really, like, self-centered and, like, dramatizing the things that were happening to him and thinking he was so important. But then he was also very, like, didn't want to look a fool. Like, yeah, that was very, a large... He was very self-conscious. That was a large part of this novel, too, was how self-conscious he was about the things that were going on around him. And that was... All, it was, like, a weird... It was what I imagine frat boys are. Where it's like, yeah, I'm so cool, man. I got all my shit together, but inside they're just little boys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This was like academic frat boy. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, from the 50s, basically. Um, I did want to say, though, there were a lot of words in this book that uh, I did not know. Because yes, this too. author definitely found himself very intelligent and he really liked it. Um, <laughs> I only marked the first one because I have a six-month-old and I don't got time for that shit. Um, but I would like you to guess what this word means. Oh, great. Okay. Vituperative. Guess before context and then guess with context. Vituperative. Um, vicious or like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was would be ample time for a vituperative phone call to Welch, one of the characters. Mm. Wow, look at that the SAT prep coming back. Vituperative, <laughs> yeah. You know, we spent no money for that. Actually, it was a free pa- class at our high school. <laughs> yeah, and here I am still using it. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. This book, though, uh, you could tell he was steeped in academia and wanted you to know it. Um, with the language he used, which most of the time I didn't find irritating. Um, but sometimes, cause I like felt like it was for a purpose. Like this book was, it was supposed to be setting the scene. Like they were in mm-hmm. academia. They yeah. were all kind of full of themselves. They all really would talk like that. And so like m- most of the time that didn't bug me, but then there were scenes where it was very much overkill. And I was like, the scene has been set. I understand the scene. <laughs> I have two questions about this book, and they're kind of intertwined. One, we have said in with this book and with other books in the past that we're not a fan of this, like, male wish fulfillment category. Do you think that, A, women don't write books that like this, B, we don't notice it when it's in a woman because we relate more, or C, women don't write books like this that get published and end up in, quote-unquote, the canon? And then second question... Why do you think the people who came up with this list thought this book was the canon? Yeah, I think that I feel like if a book written by a woman gets published like this, um, we probably wouldn't notice. But I also think it wouldn't bug us as much. But I also think if a woman or a person of color or someone from a marginalized population publishes a book like this, it doesn't feel like wish fulfillment because it's more aspirational or like just truth telling about. Yeah. Like, whereas when it's coming from a white male lens, oftentimes it's like, dude, you have everything going for you. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I think it it has a lot to do. And the reason this book is, quote unquote in the canon is I think a lot to do with that the default that a heterosexual white male is is voice represents everyone yeah so of course everyone should be able to relate this everyone should find this funny but I don't but I just don't (laughs) and I I think that um and I I'm annoyed reading it because I feel like we've heard it before I'm annoyed reading it. I I think my, like, toned-down version is that I wasn't as annoyed by this one as I've been by some of the others. Sure. But, like, I mean, that's comparing the Homeward Angel and, like, the Julius one to this. And, like, this was much less offensive than those. Yes. Um, I do, like, it's just, I just don't think, this isn't to say that white men can't, feel disillusioned and can't feel like the world is against them but it is to say like i don't think we need to hear more of that voice and when you write that book 
write it in such a tone that you know it's just about you and people like you. It's not yes. about everybody. When uh, you know, a different that, race and a yeah. different gender writes a book, the tone is very different and more about like this is my, my experience, my personal experience of the character that's that different and it doesn't it's not as infuriating when it's like and i can generalize that too much of the population would experiences that too but like when it's coming because it's not assumed they're not assuming that everyone has to relate to it they're just saying this is how it is these these books assume and it's it's very um i just feel like anytime we get one of these books i'm like meh 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 yeah because it's just it's not a voice that needs it's not a voice that needs to be heard over yeah. and over basically you just can't read these books outside of the context of the patriarchy and racism yeah you can't you can't oh yeah you can't and pull this it out book, on its own i i i know i shouldn't be shocked but i'm constantly shocked at how racist like the 50s to 60s were <laughs> like i know they were but like how casually like yeah like real not like good references and like like making my eskimo face what yeah. the hell is an eskimo face and why is that something you think you're making yeah it's really tough that's really really like bad. that was one i that i would that one many. stood out to me too that one stood yeah. out to me for some reason i was just like what <laughs> yeah and <laughs> and i do feel like it's like the author was doing that like for laughs you know but then they were also sort of making fun of the idea that England should hold on to Mary England, the like yeah. rural culture, because things are really changing England rapidly at this time. Like the welfare state was being born, you know, all that stuff. Um, the NHS, like it was society was changing. It was growing middle class and stuff. But the I mean, when this book came out, they were still rationing in the UK. And and so I'm just like, it's just like, oh, you're just. Just go like five more steps, and you'll like, and it will. I will like it, and it will feel modern. Um, but it's just. I it's not there. I do wonder something more and more as we read this list. I wonder about the ages of the people that wrote this list because I feel like you and I at thirty three sit on like a weird cusp of like social growth <laughs> that happened um where uh, where we're that cusp where stories that are openly racist openly like anti-lgbtqia openly just like many things that were accepted before we automatically recognize as not being okay whereas i think generations before us had to be taught to see that as not okay and had Mm. to do a lot of relearning um especially with gender especially yeah Um, um, and generations after us like gen z have things to teach us oh yeah you know like it's and so it's interesting because Mm. i just i as we read this list i wonder how much of this was developed by people who are like 50 or 60 yeah what's going to be really interesting about doing this whole project is that by the time we finish this list, we're going to be a lot older. Yeah. We could be 60 by the time we finish, you know? And so it'll be like, will it matter? Like if we were what? Like we were 30 or 29 when we started. If we read a book when we were 29 versus we read it when we're 62, how we see it, you know? How are we going to feel about a coming age novel when we're that old? Yeah, I don't it's, know. It's. I think it will, we will see an effect in, in what we like. 
Um, that really gets at what I'm trying to say. There's a big word for this type of novel. It's a Bildungsroman. Bildungsroman. Well, if we ever get my brother, my little brother, to be a guest host on this podcast, we will have him say this word because he says it perfectly and can spell it, and it's infuriating. But it's basically books that are coming-of-age novels oh. that are about like ones like spiritual, a developmental awakening kind of thing. Um I wonder. German has a word for everything. I know German's really a language <laughs> with words. Um, I wonder if the people writing this list relate to this style of Bildungsroman because it's more their experience, mm. like that very they male were, they centric were this age at this time period, or in like they were they came of age in a very male centric world where like the mm. white man. Um, seeing life as the world is being against them was more acceptable. So, like, even if it's a book written in 1850 that does this, that relates yeah. more. Um, I've just been, like, toying with that in my head. And I don't know if that's right, but I would be interested to know. Yeah, it's like um, when people talk about, like, women's liberation and then there's, you know, like, politicians who uh, – not only do they remember a time before that, they look back upon it fondly, you know? And, like, those people are still in Congress. Like, it's not that long ago. They're still alive. Yeah. And But it's easy to feel like when you're young that it's it's ages ago. But it's like, oh, no, the people who were, like, against that, they're literally still in power. Yeah. <laughs> the people who voted against passing the, you know, whatever, the ERA amendment, they're still in Congress yeah. right now. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Yeah. And so you do get – it does depend on your era. I, just to take us off on a little tangent. <laughs> we love tangents here. Um, I've been lately I've been thinking about how whenever you read a novel and the protagonist is like it's bookish, you know, uh -huh. into books and if they're if it's set any time besides the present, any time before, even in like the eighties, you know, they always they're always bookish and they always read the classics. Like they talk oh, I read Jane Eyre, yeah. I read Edgar Allan Poe and it was just like, is it only really recently that you could be a great reader who reads two hundred books a year right now and never touch those canon books and read a lot of great things because the publishing industry publishes 50,000 books a year in the United States. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just, every time I run across that character, I'm just like, really? The only thing you had to read was Wuthering Heights? Like, you know, like, uh, like not that those books aren't good. Some of them are good and they are worth where's reading. Where's your fantasy? Where's yeah. your... <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't seem realistic, you know, because... And I like, I don't think if someone is, if someone reads... 200 books a year and they're all romance novels have at it yeah like, you're still a book person you're a book and you have a <laughs> canon that you have developed that you know things about like psh. give me some recommendations yeah you know what i mean i so that even that feels that's something like sometimes that's often a girl character who's bookish right um, oh they also always have mousy brown hair which pisses me off <laughs> so that's very true um and that's something that i find pretentious yeah in those kind of books that's just like like, write a character that reads that's a bit that's different. Like, break out of the mold, you know? Um, yeah. No, I, this book, overall, it sounds like you were more annoyed by it than I was. I mean, I read it. It was fine. I found some of the passages funny. Each time I was like, God, I'm done with this book. There'd be something <laughs> I'd find funny. And so, um... I also just, like, don't have the energy to have strong feelings. So that could be part of it. Yeah, I, and, I, and I feel like um, your pattern is that you're either into it 
it's good, even if it's not list worthy. It's like it's a good book, or you hate it, and they're in in the middle. You're just kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah, fine. Just like, eh, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't really have like strong like you know that like rating one to ten scale. Anything between like a three and a six, I'm like, eh, that was there. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I didn't like it. I I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> um. Yeah. I can picture it as a BBC special, but I probably find that special offensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm positive there is one because yeah. this, is a, this is a British old British. Book, I but the, I mean I think we're being very clear. I don't think it belongs on the list. No, it doesn't. It's it's not the canon. It, we have yeah. too much of this voice in the canon already. I want to make space for new voices. And I I feel like what I'm realizing is that because so many other books that we would put on the list are written by white men <laughs> and do involve a character who is somehow coming of age though that's never the focus of a book we've put on the list i don't need a book that is explicitly about this. about college life or whatever or about like so- a disillusioned man coming of age i just don't need it yeah and i think the back of the our edition of this book basically is like this is the funniest book ever written and it's like no it's not it's really though not. i will forever remember that description of hangovers yeah i mean it that had, was it had like its moments it. it had its moments but it's not the funniest book ever no no um should we move on to what we're going to read next yeah let's do that we've kind of went on some tangents tonight so we hope you've enjoyed this <laughs> Um, okay, our next book is called, ooh, it's a long title, <laughs> uh, The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Alauda Equiano. So this sounds like an old book because it has a long title. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know where that name, Alado Equiano, I, granted I'm not looking at it, you read the list to us, came from. Like what, yeah. what country that originates from. Yeah, Equiano sounds... Spanish You're gonna or, say like Ecuador, <laughs> Spanish or Portuguese, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Equinox. It's somewhere <laughs> that has an equinox. But if it is like an older one from the 1700s or yeah. 1800s, that'll be fun because we haven't done. There's a small portion of very old books on the list, and we haven't really hit any of those. I, I don't think we've ones. done any of the old ones. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. We hope you enjoy this episode. Um, please join us next time while we read that book. Um, and until then, you can find us. You can email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Litzy or Instagram at 1001bookspodcast or on Facebook or Twitter at 1001bookspod. Um, and until next time, happy, happy reading! reading.